Reading from the Gospel of Mark, chapter 13, verse 24. But in those days following that distress, the sun will be darkened and the moon will not give its light. The stars will fall from the sky and the heavenly bodies will be shaken. At that point, people will see the Son of Man coming in clouds with great power and glory. And he will send his angels and gather his elect from the four winds from the ends of the earth to the ends of the heavens. Now learn this lesson from the fig tree. As soon as its twigs get tender and its leaves come out, you know that summer... is near. Even so, when you see these things happening, you know that it is near, right at the door. Truly, I tell you, this generation will surely not, surely not pass away until all these things have happened. Heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will never pass away. But about that hour, about that day or hour, no one knows. Not even the angels in heaven nor the Son, but only the Father. Be on guard. Be alert. You do not know when that time will come. It's like a man going away and he leaves his house and he puts his servants in charge, each with their assigned task and tells the one at the door to keep watch. Therefore, keep watch because you do not know when the owner of the house will come back, whether in the evening or at midnight or when the rooster crows or at dawn. If he comes suddenly, do not, find you, do not let him find you sleeping. What I say to you, I say to everyone, watch. The word of the Lord. Thank you for that reading, Shelley. The first Sunday of Advent certainly screams Merry Christmas, does it not? Um, the kids are invited with Emily for Kids Church today and older kids too. I think there's a bit of a bigger project. And for those of you who have never practiced Advent before or you're getting used to it, it's a reminder that this is a church practice that began in the um, 4th or 5th century, so quite a long time ago. And it's this time of, of generally, which we often forget, fasting and preparation for the, uh, the Feast of the Incarnation, the celebration of God with us, Emmanuel. It's a very, very old tradition. And, and one of the things I say often in conversations with people about Defiance Church, is our goal is to be a well-traditioned church. Um, so that means we pull from the Reformed, we pull from the Catholic, we pull from the Orthodox, we pull from the Anabaptists, we pull from the Charismatics just a little, because that'll take over. Um, uh, we pull from all these traditions uh, in order to be a well-traditioned church, to be one that stands in the deep well of the Christian tradition together. Um, and so that brings us to, to these high church seasons, most notably um, Lent and Advent leading to Easter, that we sort of really try to set aside to, to go into these things, to, to sort of have this be a well for us. And as you've noticed uh, from the readings this morning, there's a bit of a dual anticipation that we have in Advent if you haven't done Advent before. The first is we are most like Jews in the Advent season. We are most like our, our progenitors in the faith, the, the Israel, Israelites awaiting, being set free from captivity, and the Emmanuel, the God with us that much of the Old Testament speaks of. And so that's the person signified by looking towards the, uh, the manger. Uh, or that's not a manger, that's a 
crush? Yeah. A minus. Um, that's grading on the curb. Um, and so we sort of a look to this first coming of Jesus. And this is the way I think often culturally, minus Santa Claus, um, that we're most familiar with Christmas. The, the Snoopy um, ends with him reading uh, Luke 2. Like that we sort of are waiting for that day. Um, we are placing ourselves in a situation uh, in which we're awaiting that celebration of God with us. That we move into that space. But there's a second way in which Advent, um, most clearly in its tradition, is calling us to await the second coming of Jesus. That God will come and reconcile all things, that he will finish um, what he began in Jesus, and he will put um, death under his feet. He will wipe every tear from our eye, that God will bring about the fullness of all things. As is noted in the readings this morning, that is God's work, by the way. Um, these, these readings from Isaiah, and we'll get into each of them a little bit. Isaiah, the Psalms, Mark, um, and, and 1 Corinthians proclaim that this is God's work to do. And so we await that. And Advent is the time in which we take, um, it's not a set number of days, but a certain number of days between uh, the first Sunday of Advent and Christmas Eve to sort of await that. And in theory, the, the idea is to have the hope of Christmas shine all the brighter, to have Christmas Eve be as if it were a bonfire in comparison into that time of expectation, and the 12 days after Christmas to be this continual celebration that it has happened, that God has come amongst us, and that we can celebrate those days in their fullness. And so the readings for this morning from um, Shelley, we heard from Mark 13, uh, the, um, that the sun will be darkened and the moon will not give its life. The stars will fall from the sky and the heavenly bodies will be shaken, which brings us back to the Isaiah reading that Kim read for us and Psalm 80 that Park read for us and Corinthians that David. And one of the things that shifts in this time is, in theory, my preaching does. It's still me. and I can't change that much. But what we move is from sort of these deep dives into a very small portion of the Sermon on the Mount, which um, for many of us, that's one of the great parts of being at Defiance Church is, is long, deep sermons drawing out from uh, one text or maybe one text supported by other texts, this um, vision of what God is saying to us. But what shifts during this time for me as I prepare my sermons as best as I can is to think of the four readings that we have and to try and say, what is the devotional for us today? What is the thought in which I can capture and express to us that brings us to this place in which this season? And one of the things early on I started with here and, and trying to continue with so many churches and so many causes and so many uh, things, it's like um, as if the world couldn't get busy enough, the church wants you to um, pack presidents uh, for four poor kids. They want you to give money to all those final causes at the end of the year. They want you to go serve one last time at a soup kitchen and all this. And one of the things I've tried to hold out at the Fines Church is that we rest. You're busy people with busy lives, many of you trying to survive with children throughout the holidays. Uh, trying to make life work. And so to come during the busiest time of the year for most people, Thanksgiving wore me out, and say, hey, the church's main task for you is to do more. I just think, I'll ask stuff from you in the new year. Um, get, get them at New Year's revolutions is my, my saying. Um, uh, that this time we just sort of come and we hear from God. 
We break open the scriptures and ask what they say to us, not, not to sort of motivate us in some ways, although that will happen, but to sort of relax in the goodness of this time and wait, and that's one of the main themes from all these scriptures for this morning, is to wait for God to come amongst us to take that time and that space. And I'm aware that many of you, not this year, <laughs> it's hard. It's like I'm giving this sermon in the wrong year. We'll have Christmas parties, fat chance. Um, um, we'll have places to go, probably not. Um, we'll do Black Friday shopping, completely canceled. Um, uh, but we'll have many things come up this year in this season, even if it's not the same things that always take up our attention. Um, and to sort of uh, hear freshly again from the word um, in a way that brings out sort of these two themes. So one of the things that I, I try to bring us through, and the Mark reading, I think all the readings hit this uh, very well, is, is, is to imagine yourself sort of in a prison cell. This is Diedrich Bonhoeffer's image of Advent. And he, when he comes up with this, is literally sitting in a Nazi prison cell. And he says that it's this time of waiting that captures an advent. But the thing he says, a prison cell like this is a good analogy for advent. One waits, hopes, does this or that, ultimately negligible things, the door is locked and can only be opened from the outside. Each of these readings from Isaiah and the Psalm and the book of Mark Corinthians proclaim to us that what we exist in this world is this world that is at odds with God's purposes. And while we in 24th century North America have fairly nice, for the most part, prison cells, we can decorate them, um, we can fill them with turkey, um, we can party in them. But what Advent in these readings and the start of Advent proclaims for us is that there is a truth beyond what we can do in these cells. This one is easier for us to capture this Advent because the world is under the midst of a pandemic that proclaims things aren't as they should be. And what we do is we bring ourselves to awaiting the promises of God that only help can come from the outside. You can make yourself busy in the cell. Uh, somehow I ended up on a YouTube ad that was prison cell workouts that was like, you, in the comfort of your home, can look like this. And the guy was very much larger than me. <laughs> like 10% more muscle, as if. Um, you, can, you can get fit in that place. You can pretend like it's not that bad in that place. We can mock prisoners by trying to use their workouts at home. But the truth of the matter is, as we hear from Isaiah, oh, that God would render the heavens and that the mountains would tremble before him. Since ancient times, no one has heard or nor eye has perceived, no eye has seen any God besides you who acts on behalf of those who wait for him. The words of Mark that Shelley read for us, I say to everyone, watch. The psalmist proclaims, Restore us, O God, make your face shine upon us that we might be saved. And the word from 1 Corinthians that David uh, gave to us, which is the perhaps most gospel of the readings today in some ways, is that he will keep us firm until the end. 
so that you will be blameless on the day of the Lord Jesus Christ. See, the problem, the challenge for us is that in ourselves and in this world, we can um, numb ourselves. We can indulge. We can drink. We can be merry. But what scripture holds out for us is that we are people still in bondage. And the way, one of the ways I was trying to think about this is, is the sin that the psalmist speaks of. And the reading from Isaiah speaks of as well. Um, but we continue to sin against you when you were angry. How then can we be saved, as Isaiah says? comes in, in two ways for us. Sin, sin comes for us in an in individual way in which it's actions we uh, do. Um, there's often the darkest times in my life is where I have found myself sort of in sin of my own doing. And you need a spouse, a partner. Um, at one point, I needed the Psalms to come alongside of me and guide me through that time. But we have these moments in which we build our own selves and we're captive. So we need to hear of the God who restores us, who makes his face shine upon us, that we might be saved. We need to hear of this one who comes and rescues us. There's another way in which sin, and this is the way Romans and Paul will talk about it, um, and certainly sort of comes in the Mark reading as well. It's in this cosmic sense in which the world is captive and bound to that which is always pulling it down. Behind you and the actions that you commit, there is a world of cancer, which speaks of sin. There is a world of coronavirus, which speaks of sin. There is a world of, of in Paul's language, principalities and powers, these cosmic forces um, uh, like the internet <laughs> uh, or consumerism or militarism or our, our modern, uh, what do I call it, our modern medical industrial complex, which is you'll be fine until you're not, then we'll just put you down. Um, that we can place our hope in and try to find our ways. But what we need to name that is, is, is God's enemies also. We don't go to war with flesh and blood, but we go to war with principalities and powers. We live in a world captive. And one of the challenges for our church, Defiance, as we try to live this season, um, is to say that the world wants this to be the time in which we deny all those realities as best as we can. To sort of pretend like those things aren't out there. Your own individual sin during this time, well, it was your work party, and that's why you drank too much. Oh, well, it was, it was this time alone. Um, what, we'll forgive it during this time. And what, what it's a... It's good we do this the first Sunday of Advent, the Sunday after Thanksgiving, because it's, we're like, well, that was a pick-me-up, um, is that we tell the truth about the world as it is. And I can't think of anything more fitting to start as we await the one who comes amongst us. Because the question is why? Why are we awaiting what Mark 13 speaks of, when the heavens will be shaken, when the earth will... Um, uh, at this time, the Son of the Man will, on the coming clouds, will gather power and glory, and he will send his angel and angels and gather his elect from the four winds, from the ends of the earth to the ends of the heavens. Why are we awaiting the gathering? Why are we re, uh, uh, awaiting this return? Heaven and earth will pass away, but the words of this one never will. 
It's because that as much as we may try to die, the world exists in this difficult space awaiting God's return. We await the one who's going to come amongst us. The psalm says, Let your hand rest on the man at your right hand, the son of man who you raised up for yourself. Speaking of Jesus. Then we will not turn away from you. Revive us, and we will call on your name. Restore us, Lord Almighty. Make your face shine upon us so that we may be saved. This is the God who comes and asks us to keep watch faithfully. Before we finish, just a short note on the Mark 13 reading. The Mark 13 reading contains these two sections of verses, and I can give them to you afterwards if you're interested in, but they, the, starting with 1, 2, 8, 14 through 20 through 24 and 30, they, they sound, um, these verses sound as if Jesus is imminent returning, coming tomorrow. That he is not going away for long. Verses 3 through 7, 9 through 13, 21 through 23, 32 through 37, call us to dig in and to stay faithful. It might be some time. So as Mark 13 speaks to us, it's like a master going away. And he leaves his servants in charge, but they don't know the day or the hour he will return. Now, I don't know if this happened for you, but my parents would go away at times, and they would say, before we get back, we need these things done. And being wise children, we did those and then had all our fun. Yeah. <laughs> um, as far as I understand, other kids do it this way. They, they, they put off, they have their fun, the, the, the adults are away, the kids must play. And as the car is coming in the driveway, it's like, okay, where'd that list go that we made a paper airplane of as they left the house and threw into a gutter? What things do we need to get accomplished? What things do we need to stay awake for? And while that's comical, and I, I don't like using those analogies very often, it is that way with the church. God has sent us as his stewards here, as the master goes away from the house. And we are to be those who vigilantly keep watch for this restoration. Not numb ourselves as the world goes on, not to just gather more and more, not to just make our way as plain as we want, but to actually stay awake. And if you don't think that's hard, um, there's a reason why in, in the final passage that David read for us from Corinthians is it's God who does it. We need to practice staying awake, but even as the disciples sit with Jesus in the Garden of Semine, sleep comes. But for us to try and be alert, to try and be awake of the reality that the Son of Man will return, that he will gather his elect and restore us, that God's face will shine upon us again and teach us, that God will be with us, is the good news of Advent. If he suddenly comes, do not let him find him sleep you, but I say to you, to, I say to everyone, watch. So we'll close with the, the quote on the back of the bulletin, which I think is a helpful uh, phrase for us this morning. Our Savior gave this warning when he was leaving the world, leaving it that is as far as his visible presence is concerned. He looked forward to the many hundred years which were to pass before he came again. He knew his purpose and God's purpose gradually to leave the world to itself, gradually to withdraw from it the tokens of his gracious presence. 
In this text, he mercifully whispers into our ears not to trust in what we see, not to share in the general unbelief around us, not to be carried away by the world, but to be alert, be aware, and look out for his coming. It is for us not to get carried away with the world, to run around as if we don't know how this turns out, but instead to wait, to keep watch, and to stay awake. Let us pray. God, in your wisdom, you let this world run its course. And we, your people, called out, your elect in the language of Mark, called to stay awake, to be alert, to spot the lies in our times, to look for the distortions, and to know that it is you who we await coming in your Son again. Coronavirus is not the final word. More and more Christmas and consuming is not the final word. Hope that only thinks more of the present is not the final word, but a hope that awaits you in your coming to put death under your feet, to wipe every tear, to comfort us and to bring us into your kingdom. We pray by the power of your spirit that we may stay awake. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.